This is the Getsy Health Podcast with Janique and Tristan Roney. Hey guys, welcome back to the Gutsy Health Podcast. Hi everybody. <laughs> Tristan has lost. I'm sorry, babe. You lost. Your, I'm not laughing. Well, he's, he's lost his voice. It's it's been rough. Let's be honest. But um, it's been two weeks now. Two yep. weeks. Yeah, believe it. It was way worse last week, actually, which was is why it? we had no episode. Yeah. Um, and so we're just like we're just winging life right now, <laughs> and at least I can hear him, but he can't. He can't shout at the kids, which is a good thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's true and sad, and also really great. It's really great. It's a practice in patience, right? Yeah. You guys, we have such a great guest today. We are going to be talking about Ayurvedic medicine. I know nothing about it, and so we have Claire Ragazzino on the podcast today. She she is an Ayurvedic practitioner. She is a holistic nutritionist. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah, and a yoga teacher. Like all of my life goals, even though I know nothing about Ayurveda, yeah. it's just so cool. And I know that there is like voodoo to it that I wish I understood. And we're going to get like Ayurveda 101 today. And so she is the author of the new book, Living Ayurveda, Nourishing Body and Mind Through Seasonal Recipes, Rituals and Yoga. And I'm going to have her take it away. And uh, Claire, can you introduce yourself? What is your story? How did you get into this? Like, what was the path that you had to take to end up a yoga teacher, a holistic nutritionist, a Ayurvedic practitioner. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me first off. Yes. I'm excited to be here. And uh, we both have scratchy throats. So we'll just... <laughs> <laughs> Tis the season. Tis the season. <laughs> I guess we can go way back. Let's go all the way back to age seven, because mm-hmm. I really give a shout out to my mom. She was in a pretty bad near fatal car accident. Wow. And found yoga back when yoga was still pretty fringe. There was like one person in the whole Phoenix Metro Valley area in Arizona where I was growing up um, who taught yoga and it was a traditional Hatha yoga. I used to go sit in the back of the classroom and laugh every time they owned and you know, <laughs> like, what, what am I doing here? But yeah. it kind of left an impression on me. And so in my teens, I um, had moved to Alaska, a small little town in an island called Ketchikan. And mm. I had started to get back into yoga then. There was a younger teacher who had just come back from India, also into Hatha yoga. And she taught me all the strange cleansing practices. And, and together we did yoga side by side. And that really helped solidify that yoga was a path I wanted to walk in this life. And so that. from there, I started having a lot of health issues in my early teens and struggled with a digestive disorder, chronic constipation, acid reflux, you know, things that doctors were like, Oh, I don't know. You and 90% of America, right? Like this is our gut dysfunction is an epidemic and doctors know jack about it. They know nothing. They put people on PPIs and they're like, go into the world and it makes things worse. And so, so anyways, sorry, keep going, keep going. So you got GI issues. Absolutely. I feel just as passionate about that. (laughs) I have a lot to say on gut health. And so does Ayurveda is why I kind of ended up in the Ayurvedic path. Oh, that's awesome. I, um, after years of struggling with chronic digestive disorders that doctors really had no answers to, I just started experimenting. I started getting curious. I tried cleansing. I did juice fasts. I did the master cleanse. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Anyone's done that one, but man, I did all kinds of things. Um, and then found myself on a raw foods path thinking that raw foods were the answer. And that kind of led me to later work as a raw foods chef and wow that's really cool 
Yeah, and I, I have to say it probably helped a lot initially, but at a certain point I was still running into these digestive issues. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, what's going on? I'm eating all the probiotics, I'm eating the fibers, I'm eating the superfoods, my smoothies are gigantic, like yeah. I'm not cooking my food. And I really thought, okay, I'm doing all the right things, but I'm still not feeling better. Mm-hmm. And so somewhere in uh, college, I did a yoga teacher training and I picked up some of my first Ayurveda books that I started actually taking seriously. I think I came across a few when I was in high school. And so Mm -hmm. I'm going way back in this discussion. I love it. I love it. But I'd read a lot and I'd always been hungry to know more. And I had all kinds of books like Paul Pitchford's Healing with Whole Foods. And he references Ayurveda as well as macrobiotics in there. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm like, well, this is fascinating, but I was still really attached to the raw foods thing. Mm -hmm. And so there I was somewhere in my early 20s working as a raw food chef, leading guided juice cleanses in December. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Freezing. Yeah. Freezing. I, Super cold. I don't think I've told anyone this. I was sitting on a heating pad eating my super food, oh, superfood smoothie. <laughs> oh my gosh. And you're like, something's not <laughs> right. <laughs> With a spoon eating this. I'm like, but it's so good oh, for me. Yeah. <laughs> and I had a friend, someone who was interested in dating me at the time. And he's like, let me make you some soup. I'm like, oh, it's cooked how dare you yeah the so enzymes <laughs> so we ended up making the soup and I'm like fine I'll have a bowl because my my rule of thumb has always been to be culturally respectful yeah. and um, and traveling and when someone is making something with love and he was certainly making it with toy I um, ate this bowl and I remember having this like, oh my God, I feel so good moment. And mm-hmm. then I ate another bowl and I'm like, I feel so good. And then my stomach felt better. And for days I felt great. And I'm like, there must be something to this. Yeah. Food thing. <laughs> <laughs> what is this wizardry? <laughs> and I always reference this bowl of soup as a turning point for me because it was a moment that I stopped living from my head of what I should and shouldn't do and moving into my body oh. a little bit more. Love it. And then I'm like, oh, okay, well, Ayurveda, I've read about this a whole lot. And I think that like increases like. So when I'm eating cold foods, it's December, I'm getting more cold. Mm-hmm. Okay, aha, uh-huh, mm-hmm. this makes sense. Yes. <laughs> it's so you know obvious you said Ayurveda voodoo. And I'm like, you know, it seems like voodoo until you take that moment to have that embodied experience. Like, okay, this is actually really, this is really obvious. From there, I had already gone pretty deep into Ashtanga yoga. I traveled to Mysore. I was, this is kind of the birthplace of Ashtanga yoga and was at the main shala and my ego was all pumped up because I got <laughs> out of the second series. And if you've done Ashtanga yoga, you might laugh at this a little bit. Okay. What is Ashtanga yoga? I have no idea. I know Ashtanga yoga and yoga. hot yoga. <laughs> That's it. Yep. Well, hot yoga and vinyasa yoga and all these styles kind of came from Ashtanga yoga, which is a more vinyasa style mm-hmm. practice. And ashta means eight. So anga means limbs. These eight limbs of yoga ideally move not just the physical, but all aspects of these practices. Cool. Um, it came from Mysore, India through a teacher named Krishna Macharya, who then taught it to Patavi Joyce, who kind of became the forefather of that. And then some of his students came to California in the 70s and power yoga and all of those things have now developed into that. Cool. So it's a beautiful practice that is can be very physical. Mm-hmm. And 
when misunderstood, it can be very competitive. Mm. And so for me, I got very competitive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I ended up coming back from India with a bulging disc in my back. Oh no. I know. I know. Whether it was probably wasn't just my practice, but the way I was approaching it and riding on scooters and dirt roads and, mm. you know, yes. like pushing things too hard. So it was a, it was a real turning point for me around that time because I was really trying to control how I wanted to feel, but not really listening. You know, I was trying to follow all the right rules, but the rules weren't applicable to my stage of life. And at that moment, you know, the soup moment, back to the soup moment, I had also kind of switched, well, I can't practice my Ashtanga yoga practice the way I once was because I have this bulging disc in Mm -hmm. my back. And maybe I need to look at some other ways of practicing and it's still equally just as potent. And so I kind of took a path towards yoga therapy and looking at therapeutic practices. So that term yoga chikitsa is the actually original purpose of Ashtanga yoga before it Mm. got really competitive. And so looking at how asanas, postures can be used therapeutically, how breath practices, pranayama can be used therapeutically, which really Mm. fits right into Ayurveda. So as I started getting more serious about Ayurveda and doing more trainings and studies and applying it to my own life, I started to see how your yoga practice actually can evolve through your different stages of life, can evolve through the different seasons and times of year. Mm-hmm. Right now we're in a time, it's called, you know, Vata. Vata is the elements of air and space. And mm-hmm. it dominates this time of year where things are light, dry, cold, mobile. You know, it's very windy out here today. Mm-hmm. And uh, a yoga practice that helps to balance that isn't going to be one with base blasting, pumping music right. really fast and loud and kind of agitating, right? It's yes. going to be something that might calm the nervous system a little bit more. And in the end, you leave class feeling what you want to feel, which yeah. is that good, juicy, grounded part in your body and your mind. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so where, maybe I missed it, I'm so sorry. When did you study the Ayurvedic part of everything? Did I, I miss started, that? Was that in India as well? Yeah. Well, I started doing some studies in India mm-hmm. and then when I had come back, I was still really on the raw foods trip. Mm-hmm. I gotta do this right. I gotta do this right. If I can just eat all raw, I'm going to find the pot of gold at the end of the raw yeah. food rainbow. Yeah. And somewhere around that turning point, I realized, okay, this isn't quite the path I want to take. And that's when I really started diving into my Ayurveda studies. Very cool. So what is a really great explanation of Ayurvedic practices and foods? And like for someone like me that knows absolutely nothing other than Tristan's mom went through an Ayurvedic phase for a few years and that's all I know about it. And it includes ghee and spices. Um, <laughs> lots of turmeric. And lots of turmeric. Um, <laughs> like what is, and raw milk, what is Ayurveda? Yeah. So that the literal translation of the Sanskrit word is the science of life. Mm. Oh, and that's then, beautiful. Um, yeah. The science of life and longevity or oh, one even more poetic is uh, the art of living. Mm. And <laughs> I think Art a lot of interpretations make it seem like it's just ghee, it's just turmeric, it's just this and that. But really, it's a, some say 5,000, some say 7, some say 3. The actual dated written texts are up for debate. But essentially, we'll say the common knowledge, 5,000 years old holistic health model mm-hmm. that has branches in general medicine, pediatrics, geriatrics, diseases of the head and neck, toxicology, 
surgery. Like it's a, it's a whole medical system, just the way I think Chinese medicine might be a little bit more known in the mm-hmm. West. Mm-hmm. Ayurveda is that as well. But what Ayurveda focuses on is largely preventative. You know, there's mm-hmm. curative aspects, but there's preventative aspects. And that's where it comes into our daily lives yeah. because it teaches us how to understand our relationship to nature, mm. right? And we've lost that a little bit so in the much. world where we're, I'm looking at my thermostat, it's always 73 in here, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> Despite the seasons changing, yeah. you know, and with our phones and our blue lights and all these things, we've forgotten what it's like to sleep, go to sleep and wake with the sun, mm-hmm. you know, to understand the lunar cycles. And yeah. so we look at these cycles of nature as a way to recalibrate how we're living. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so how we're moving through the course of a day eventually becomes how we move through the course of a week and a month, which shapes our health. Mm-hmm. So it teaches us what these different elements are. So like Chinese medicine, it's an elemental model. There's mm-hmm. five elements, air, space, fire, water, and earth. Mm-hmm. And of those, you might've heard of the word dosha. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dosha is sometimes this categorization of the elements, and there's three of them. Vata dosha is really light and mobile. It's the air and space element. It's what governs our nervous system, our higher intellect, you know, this connection to the divine, that space where we feel uh, very clear in our thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, And the second is pitta dosha, which is fire with a little bit of water. Mm -hmm. And so it governs our metabolic processes, um, our ability to transform information, so our more thinking mind, and our ability to to get things done, Um, and as well as many other things. I'm just giving you the highlight reel of how the doshas Mm -hmm. play out in our bodies. And then kapha is what creates stability. It's Mm. the earth and water elements. It also governs the waterways of our body. It's what gives us immunity. You know, this good, juicy vitality, the subtle aspect of that's called ojas. And so through diet and lifestyle, we seek to balance these elements in our bodies and Mm -hmm. to understand how, as the seasons change, these elemental influences change. Mm -hmm. Spring it's rainy. It's a time where there's more kapha, more water. Mm. Time we get more colds and mucusy, you know, so we mm-hmm. want to eat foods, maybe not as much ghee mm-hmm. in the springtime. Mm-hmm. We want to eat foods and do lifestyle practices like yoga or different movement practices or breath practices that help to balance those dominant elements. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Does that make sense? So much sense. So can we talk a little bit about that more? Because I think people are really curious, like, what should we be doing? Because we have completely forgotten in our modern society that we are just an extension of nature. And so the further we step away from nature, the sicker we get. Right. And then we are in these artificial homes. We have these artificial phones. Like you said, we have these artificial lights. Um, We actually had friends over last night and it was like six o'clock and it was getting dark. And so we just put on like our red lamps here and there and the house is dark. And here we are feeling super awkward and apologizing like, hey, we're going to talk to each other in the dark right now with like firelight in the house. And they're like, "Okay," you know, and that's just like how we are. We're like we're trying to make it as natural as possible, you know, like how men used to be around fires at nighttime. Like that's the lighting that our neural pathways have like 
been firing with for the past 200,000 years, you know, since the existence of like homo sapiens. So I think people, or I'm really curious, like, can you take us through the seasons of, like you said, springtime, you know, exercise, not ghee, we're supposed to be doing yoga because we all know we should eat seasonally. Right. And so what are those seasonal foods? What are those seasonal practices? What are these exercise routines that we should be doing? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, this is the whole reason I wrote this book, Living Ayurveda. And the way I've structured it is through daily practices awesome, and seasonal practices. So each seasonal section has different information and recipes and yoga sequences and such that kind of guide you through how to experience what balance might feel like through the course of the year. Oh, I love that. And I just want to preface this by saying this is dependent on your environment, Mm -hmm. right? In India, they actually have six seasons. Mm -hmm. And one of them is like a rainy season and one of them is a dry season in addition to what we would consider spring, summer, fall, winter. Cool. And and so I I spent several years living on Hawaii and there's about one and a half seasons. (laughs) Yeah, right? Seriously. (laughs) But yet when you really pay attention, there is a subtle shift, even though it seems like, oh, it's just sunny or rainy all the time, there is a subtle shift in what feels drier, what feels lighter, what feels dense and heavy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one of the best ways to start to experience the elements is to get familiar with these description words, these adjectives that describe these doshas. They're called gunas. There's Mm. 10 pairings of opposites. And with that, you start to understand what, what is needed to create balance. And so, these ten pairing of opposites include things like light and heavy, mm-hmm. cold, hot, you know, dry, oily. Mm-hmm. As you start to experience that and you think about these elements, you think about how it applies to your seasonal activities, mm. your seasonal rituals for balance. So like weather is cold, so we eat hot food. Like yeah. that? <laughs> exactly. Is that oh okay, so I'm getting this. Like, uh, Claire, this is no. so simple. Why it's, are you telling me this? But, but I guarantee it's, most of us don't think about this. No, it's so intuitive. The day. And it gets more complex. And the more you ignore this, the deeper an imbalance becomes, which leads to disease. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you need to take larger measures to correct that imbalance. Mm-hmm. But let's say you develop a practice, you cultivate an awareness about how you're feeling each day. So my favorite practice in this book is the self-inquiry practice Mm -hmm. where I like to wake up in the morning and ask myself, what's up? What's Mm. up today? What am I feeling? And then what do I need? And if you listen, a lot of times, some of those answers are right there, right in front of you. Yeah. But I have a great chart in here that kind of outlines how the doshas move through the course of the year. So let's go through that. Cool. How about we start? And is this in your book too? Like, so people can buy your book and like, okay, cool. Okay. Let's go through it. it, It's in there. Um, But let's talk about the four seasons as we know it, let's say here in North America right now. Yes. So right now we're in fall technically, Mm -hmm. right? Fall starts around September 21st with the equinox and goes until the winter solstice. Mm -hmm. And fall is a time where it's light, it's dry, it's cold, the leaves are falling, the wind is blowing. You might tend to feel more anxious or more spacey or more dry, or you're having difficulties falling asleep. All of these are signs and symptoms that vata dosha has increased. It's high. It might be moving towards an imbalance. So in vata season, you would want to eat foods that are well-cooked, like soups and stews. Mm-hmm. And 
add root vegetables with spices and good oils. So vata is a great time for your ghee, for your turmeric, for your cumin and coriander, cardamom, cinnamon. You know, these more warming foods are going to help uh, nurture balance because it'll be easier to digest and it will help balance that light, dry, cold quality mm-hmm. of fall. Cool. Then we, that kind of lasts into early winter. And I don't know if, do you guys get snow where you are? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Lots. Right? I mean, anyone who's seen early winter snow, it's dry snow. Yeah. And mm-hmm. as you start to move towards late winter, you start to get towards more kapha season. So we're in vata season from fall to early winter. This is a great time for all your warming foods. Your winter diet, you actually naturally have an increase of appetite. It's not just because of the holidays and everyone's eating right. more, but you actually need to eat more to build more bulk for your body mm-hmm. to stay in balance. Yeah. To balance that, you want more active exercise, mm-hmm. right? And especially as we start to move into kapha season. So kapha, that earth, and water element can get a little sluggish. It can get a little dull. Yes. Can I ask about that? Because wintertime, I just want to hibernate and read a book and sit by a fire and like get fat. That's all I want to do. And so the thought of like (laughs) exercising more, I'm like, no, like get the hence. Don't bring that thought to me. So how do we overcome that? Like, (laughs) yeah, I know you're not a therapist, but like, what do we do to, you know, because we're eating more, we're indoors more, we're more apathetic. Like how do we balance that imbalance through exercise? (laughs) Exercise is helpful. So in, in the book, I outline a couple more warming breathing practices. These Mm. are things like Kapalabhati. Sometimes you see this in Kundalini yoga where they do this breath of fire. It's like a kind of stomach pumping that gets the breath. You know, it sounds like Mm. it it has a more fire building. So you're stoking that fire in your, in your belly. And even just doing a little bit of breathing practices that help to move some of that stuck energy, mm-hmm. getting outside, you know, bundling up and getting outside, seeing the expansive sky. Ironically, people are like, well, just looking at the sky, that's going to make me more motivated. It's actually <laughs> it one of the gentle therapies yeah. for Kapha is that's being awesome. able to get out of that dullness of like, I just want to sit here and watch Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to eat the ice cream and the pumpkin pie. Right. So what's important, I think, is to one, meet yourself where you're at and ask yourself, why are you so tired? Have you totally burnt yourself out and not given enough rest in Vata season? Mm-hmm. because we do need to sleep. Sometimes the season winter is called the season of the sleepy bear. Mm-hmm. And I think Makes it's sense. absolutely okay to rest. I channel that every winter. <laughs> like every, like the sleepy bear is my jam. You so. know what? I'll tell you living on Hawaii, not having winter. I actually got majorly imbalanced because mm. I was just like, gotta go, gotta keep doing, gotta be yeah. outside, gotta, you know, wow. I never really got a chance to rest. And equally, when you live in hot climates, cold weather is helpful for cooling down the blood. Mm. So that summer season, as we start to move from late winter to spring, spring is where things get, you know, it starts melting. The snow is that mm. kind of heavy, damp, yucky, muddy snow no one wants yeah. to be in. Yeah. The spring rain come, the storm, that's when you really start to feel that heavy dullness from winter. And this is a time where naturally doing a cleanse is actually supported. And a cleanse doesn't mean a 12-day master cleanse or (laughs) anything like that. Um, It can very simply be 
eating a mono diet, meaning something like kitchari, which is a, has kind of become the poster child of Ayurvedic eating. Mm-hmm. I'm here to tell you there is more food to Ayurveda than just kitchari. <laughs> Can you describe uh, kitchari? <laughs> yeah, what is that? Yeah. What is kitchari? Yeah. Kitchari is, it's a one pot meal, meaning you put it all in one pot and it's got spices, good digestive promoting spices like ginger, your favorite turmeric, mm-hmm. cumin, coriander, fenugreek, sometimes mustard seed. Wow. Um, sometimes curry leaf people add to it, but a nice spice blend that helps to kind of stoke the digestive fire. And then a simple cooked down combination of monks, usually split yellow mung and then basmati rice is what it's cooked down. It's actually quite delicious. My favorite is adding a little bit of fennel bulb and carrots to the mix. And yeah. you cook it for about 40 minutes or so until it's a soft stew and you can add chutneys or cilantro or lime juice, all kinds of things to dress it up and make it fun Perfect. and delicious. And that's Actually, all in your book, right? It is. It's I all do in the book. There it is. That sounds so good. Yeah. It's really delicious and it's so easy. I actually lead an Ayurvedic cooking immersion. It's called the Ayurvedic Kitchen. And cool. we oh. work through different aspects of Ayurvedic cooking mm-hmm. in that. The next one will be in February. But one of the things that we do is we do throw in a kitchari in there because it's so easy to make. And when you're busy, you have a lot going on. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite quotes from a teacher of mine, Dr. Claudia Welch, she says, the inverse principle is when your life gets complicated, your diet should be more simple. Mm, nice. I love that. And so kitchari, I think, has become the poster child of Ayurvedic food because mm-hmm. it's easy to digest. It's delicious. You can dress it up or dress it down. Yeah. And it's usually used in a very, very simple form as a cleansing dish, especially in the spring and in the fall. And so in spring, you you start to do this little cleanse and you can do a deep cleanse called a panchakarma, or you can do a simple home-based cleanse where you're just doing a mono diet to give mm-hmm. your digestion a break from all the heavy winter eating and doing some other practices that help to move the stagnation out. Yeah. So when you come into summer, you feel light, you feel fresh, your body Love is it. balanced in this way that you now can enjoy the heat and not feel heavy and bogged down. You know, I'll I'll say enjoy the heat lightly because I've come into a stage of my life. where I want to add something super fast because like all of these spices and fennel, how many people have those spices and those vegetables that you mentioned in their house right now? Probably not. Or, and I mean like all of them, like everyone probably has turmeric. Everyone probably has ginger. What about all the other ones that you mentioned? Well, hopefully our people do. Hopefully our people do. Right. But this is like a foreign art form of food that Americans especially, and I know there's people, listeners around the world, but especially in our culture, we just do not touch, right? Right. We go to an Indian restaurant like three times a year and that is our diversity in spices and that's it. And Indian restaurants in America, they load everything with like inflammatory oils and sugar, right? And And then they call it Indian food. And lots of onions and garlic. Yes, yes. But none of this other stuff, you know, these these foreign spices and that you mentioned. I just want to say, you know, what's interesting, and I think about this a lot, is we're very familiar, especially being here in the Southwest or in California with Mexican cuisine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All the same spices, right? It just has different combinations to create different flavor profiles. Mm -hmm. But you're absolutely eating cumin. You're absolutely eating coriander, which Mm -hmm. is just the seed of cilantro. Yeah. And it's amazing how much maybe we've been exposed to it, but not thinking about combining it in this way. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, one of the best ways to approach something new 
whether it be trying Ayurveda or a new recipe or learning about, I don't know, neuroscience, whatever it is mm-hmm. to your fancy, <laughs> the best way to approach anything is to be curious mm-hmm. Absolutely. and to not be afraid to mess it up. Yeah. So I've definitely, in my early days of experimenting with new foods and flavors, made some really gnarly dishes. Yes, <laughs> I have too. <laughs> like, for example, I think one spice that most Westerners don't use is asafoetida, which is actually a resin from the fennel plant. And it's used as a replacement for onions and garlic mm-hmm. because it's less heating, it's oh. less stimulating. But I learned uh, through trial and error that just a little bit goes a long way. Mm. Like you just oh, want no. a pinch. And I'm like, God, this is so good. I put a tablespoon oh, in no. and my whole tongue was numb. Oh, no. <laughs> now That's I knew awful. the next time around, I wouldn't put that much asafoetida <laughs> in to mm. my kitchery. That's great. Um, yeah. So as you move through the year, your diet can shift with these spices. And that's mm-hmm. what's cool about Ayurvedic cooking and Ayurvedic nutrition is that we're actually looking at the properties of foods. And a lot of it's very intuitive, like mint. Mm-hmm. Mint is cooling, right? Yeah. When, we're, when we're hot, we put some mint in our water. Yeah, oh, That's so refreshing. Or, or you drink some mint tea. Mix it with watermelon, you know, cut up mint oh. and watermelon, mm-hmm. summertime. Yeah. Oh, good. And even yeah. looking at our foods and our fruits, we get so much fruit during the summer and it's full of water and minerals, right? When we're hot in the summer, we're sweating yeah. out minerals and the fruit just feeds it back to us. Like it's, it's so exactly. incredible. It's like this beautiful dance of yin and yang of our bodies and nature and nature like nurturing us. But then we live in this world where we, you know, we live in the northern hemisphere and we're importing foods from the southern hemisphere. And so right, we have like watermelons year round. Yes. Yes. Even though it doesn't yeah. taste that good, like you can still buy it right now, you know, so it's pretty. Yeah, and that, that is the challenge living in our modern world is the abundance of choice mm-hmm. and decision fatigue. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know how many dietary theories I read to get to the point of feeling like, okay, I understand food now. Mm -hmm. Like I even had someone convince me I needed to be keto Mm. and, and and gave me all the science to why. And then I remember eating like a pat of butter on top of dark chocolate. And and you're like, no, being like, I don't know. This This doesn't make sense right now. You know, I came back to Ayurveda. Yeah. Because it's a time tested. It's not some dietary theory with a big, bar package behind it that you have to buy with it or powders and which then comes out 20 years later it causes mm-hmm. heart disease you yeah. know I, I think that what's really cool about it is it teaches you the language of nature so you know watermelon is sweet it's cooling mm-hmm. it's going to cool me down when I'm overheated yeah when I'm having rashes or my eyes are red or I'm angry mm-hmm. you know pitta that fire element yeah. Or I know that ginger is going to be warming and I'm going to incorporate that in the winter months because mm-hmm. it's going to help improve my digestion because yeah. good warming digestive spices help with digestion. And right. I think as you start to understand those a little bit more and, you know, it takes some time. I'm not saying you're going to understand it all on the first day of right. reading about Ayurveda, but within a couple of weeks, you start to really understand how these foods can have a cooling or a heating effect, how they can have a grounding or a cleansing effect to lighten you up. I love it. And just as you said, through, through the seasons, nature provides us a lot of what does help nurture this balance. Yeah. I love that. Um, even in like, I have this Gussie Health membership where I make, I prepare these meal plans for members so that they don't have to do their own grocery shopping list. 
And yeah. like summertime, it's always like more salads and fresh and less cooked. And then wintertime, it's we're making bone broths and root vegetables. And it's it's a lot more warm. Occasionally, I'll add in like turmeric lattes and all that jazz, yeah. you know, just because it, it is it, it is very seasonal. And that's what our bodies love. I have a quick question. Um, yes. A lot of these spices came from India. What did our ancestors do? back in the day when they didn't have access to those spices? Like, like, do you have the answer to that? I probably don't have the full answer, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I would say that like my heritage is Italian Portuguese. I very much have that Mediterranean diet in my background and Mm -hmm. there's not a lot of ginger and cardamom and such in traditional Italian cooking, but there is garlic, there is basil, Mm -hmm. there are foods that have similar effects and that would achieve similar things. So, you know, one great example is someone who's eating a pretty traditional American diet would find digestion, um, promoting spices and mustard, Mm. you know, add a little mustard on top of your hot dog. Yeah. (laughs) Digest it a little bit more. There are familiar equivalents that Mm. we can work with when we didn't have access to those foods traditionally. And when you think of those traditional foods, I think that there are equivalents in other cultural cuisines. Love it. Okay. Very cool. They're like cousin spices and foods that can have the same effect. I love yeah. that. So, and oh, go ahead. Go ahead. You know, that just something popped into my mind about that, thinking about ancestral foods. And I imagine what was different about ancestral eating was more around the lifestyle and the culture of food than exactly what the ingredients were. And I think that there's a tradition of coming together, sitting down, eating joyfully, sharing social meals, or eating alone in silence. And a lot of Mm. these practices are practices for making our nutrition more accessible to our bodies. When we're eating driving, when we're eating stressed, when we're angry, it doesn't matter what spices or what superfoods you're eating. Your body's not assimilating what you're taking in. Yeah, I see that 100%. And the way that we eat in this country is just so ghastly. It's really, really uh, atrocious because we eat dead food now. Everything's dead. Everything's highly processed. Everything is Frankensteined. I have some other questions here. You talk about the doshas as a balancing system for the seasons, but I've often come across the doshas as a kind of personality system where people yeah. tend to move towards vata or pitta. Is is the Ayurvedic system helpful in balancing out personalities in that way? Absolutely. So I think Ayurveda has been presented for a long time as body types because it means like, okay, cool. I can just do what I need to do for my body type. Mm -hmm. And that's helpful. And I'll talk about what those two different constitutions are and what that, what that is. So when you hear someone say, I'm Vata, I'm Pitta, or I'm Pitta Vata, I'm Kapha Vata. Mm -hmm. This is your Prakriti. Prakriti means your birth constitution. So there's all kinds of factors that go into shaping who you are foundationally at your birth. And that is your parents' constitutions, particularly your mother's and what she was eating, what her experiences were while you were in utero, what your early childhood experiences and imprints were. What was your diet like? Were you born in a water birth? Were you born For example, my mom was a pilot. She flew until she was seven months pregnant and then had a hospital birth that was kind of quite painful and a little traumatic. And then we moved within a month. Mm -hmm. So I basically gestated in the air 
yeah. which is very different than my friend who just had a baby on the island in Hawaii. She had a water birth and never traveled her entire pregnancy and for the first year of the child's birth. So we're very malleable mm-hmm. when we're young and mm-hmm. these imprints affect what our constitutional makeup is. Mm-hmm. And so I like to look at it like a kind of bar graph. So mm-hmm. you have all three, Vata, Pitta, Kapha, and then depending on your parents' genetics and Prakriti, as well as Vikriti, which we'll talk about in a minute, that shapes what your constitution is. So you might be very high in Vata Mm -hmm. with Pitta behind it and maybe very little Kapha. Mm. So when you're moving through the seasons, you're likely going to be more affected by Vata season because you already have so much Vata, Mm. right? So someone with a lot of Kapha, who's like really strong, stable, grounded, never gets sick, is likely not going to be as affected by the seasons with more vata because they have that kind of balance that stability within and this is your unique imprint that you're it's kind of your indicator for balance so someone who has a lot of vata might be needing to do more warm oil massages more yin yoga Mm. you know more yoga nidra which is a guided relaxation meditation that helps to nourish vata where someone with a lot of kapha might need to be doing practices like eating a little less ghee, Mm -hmm. not having as many sweets and oils in their diet, exercising more vigorously, really paying attention to when they're starting to feel sluggish. They might tend to have more colds and runny noses and Mm -hmm. these kinds of things. Whereas Mm -hmm. someone who has more pitta might be really athletic, really driven, a charismatic leader, but can also really burn themselves out quickly by pushing too hard and has to pay attention to deadlines and eating too much sriracha on there. <laughs> you know, there's always that friend that like, you know, never wore a jacket to school as a kid because they're always hot and then is like red and flushed and sweating and mm-hmm. pours hot sauce on everything. That's your pitta friend. So That's great. there are absolutely personality types that are governed by these different doshas. And you can see them really clearly if you look at your friends and family. Yeah. Well, and, and certain people gravitate towards certain seasons, right? Like I'm absolutely a spring, summer and winter is just like insulting to me. And I, and I grew up in a country where it's subtropical year round, you know, so there was the hot season and the hot and a little bit of rain season, you know, and that was normal. And then I come to the States and I'm like, what is happening? The world is dying. I'm so depressed. Like why do people endure this? Right. So that totally makes sense. Um, Tris, you had a question. Yeah. I, I'll see if I can say it. Um, okay. <clears throat> I don't know if I can. <laughs> do you want me to tell you? Can you do it? I, I can totally tell, uh, babe. I tried. I was so close. Oh, <laughs> you were so close. Um, is Ayurvedic food vegetarian or can it work for people who prefer to eat meat? Great question. Yeah. Ayurvedic food is not strictly vegetarian. In fact, when you read any of the classical texts, let's say you want to get really into Ayurveda, the Chataka Samhita and the Ashtanga Hridayam are two wonderful texts that go deep into the seasonal aspects and diet. And in winter and certain times of year um, or certain seasons of life, like pregnancy, meat is actually recommended. Meat is medicinal. And so I think that here's my interpretation. This might not be the full story, but my interpretation is that yoga culture has kind of hijacked aspects of Ayurveda Mm -hmm. and kind of merged them into this idea that everything has to be pure. Everything has to be sattvic and that meat is impure. And therefore you should only eat vegetarian. 
I will say a lot of Ayurvedic cuisine does focus heavily on plants and yeah. uses meat more than we do in our, our modern culture here. Gotcha. So meat, and, and it even goes into all the different kinds of meat. Was it an animal by a marshy land? Was it an mm. animal in a dry, arid climate? Mm. Here's the effects it will have on you. And so what I love about Ayurvedic eating is that it doesn't say, don't eat this, don't eat that, this is bad, you're impure. It says, mm. here's the experience you will have in your body and your mind. Yeah. Choose your adventure. Oh my gosh. Can we turn that into that. the American meat system right now and the adventure <laughs> that we're choosing mm. every day when we pull up to like a McDonald's right. and the experience those animals had their entire lives. It is horrific and it's disgusting right. and the fact that we human beings actually allow it to happen and exist i know we are torturing our animals before we eat them and, and that that absolutely forms our tissues yes absolutely. what ayurveda does teach us is that what you eat becomes your tissue becomes you. so that first bite of food and how you receive it then forms your seven tissue layers of your mm-hmm. body mm-hmm. and when you're eating something that's filled with stress hormones mm. essentially yes that becomes your tissues and exactly. you're eating that while you're angry and driving through a fast food line that's right the whole other story and so what they do talk about is this concept of the mahagunas which are rajas tamas and sattva they're words that help us understand three different primordial energies mm-hmm. which is rajas is the energy of kind of activity it's passion it's fiery too much of that can create agitation, anger, right? Mm-hmm. And then on the other end of that spectrum is Thomas, which is inertia, it's darkness. It is, it's that I just want to stay on the couch and not see anyone for a month. <laughs> yeah. Depression, Me right? in January. So Rajas yes. on one side, Thomas <laughs> on the other. And in that center, that harmonious balance is Sattva. It's that feeling of peacefulness in yourself, Mm -hmm. clarity of who you are, you know, understanding of the bigger picture. It's this feeling of calmness and, you know, sometimes they call it purity is one translation of it. And ideally we want to eat foods and partake in activities that help create that state in our body and our mind, because it's nice. Right. But I think what's gotten confusing in yoga culture is that everything is sattva. Everything has to be pure. But when you're just eating kitchery and cleansing all the time to become pure, you're actually creating another imbalance. Mm. So that's the beauty of you need all three, mm-hmm. right? If you're hyper-stimulated, you need some tamas. If you're really lethargic, you need some rajas. And then somewhere you find this beautiful balance in between. Yeah, I love that. I love that so much. One last question. Let's talk about rice. It's often villainized. I do not like rice. I do not promote rice. Uh, But let's talk about its benefits and how that fits in Ayurveda. Yeah, wow. There's so much to say on rice. (laughs) In fact, I was looking at some of the classical texts. um, And in there, there's like 14 pages on the different kinds of rice. Mm -hmm. You know, is it rice grown in a water patty? Is it rice grown in a a dry, arid place? These are things that we don't even think about because we're so obsessed with the macronutrients. Is it going to make me fat? Is it going to make me fat? Like that's, that's the only thing that you get to hear about rice and or white rice is better. Brown rice is better. Mm -hmm. I know this about rice, white rice is going to cook quickly and it's going to be softer and easier to digest. Mm -hmm. That's why we use basmati rice often 
white basmati in cleansing protocols. Mm-hmm. Brown rice has the husk on it. It has the skin. It's going to be more rough. It's going to have a more scraping effect. So it's great. It's better for kapha, right? To help kind of move that stickiness mm-hmm. of kapha. Mm-hmm. Different people will be able to digest different things. Yeah, That's the That's, beauty of Ayurveda is that right. no one diet fits everyone no. at all times. That's so true. And so about a quarter cup of uncooked rice is one serving, one portion size for one person. Mm-hmm. And I think it's great to start with one serving size and see how do you digest it? How yeah. does it make you feel? Yeah. And adding spices will also increase the digestibility of rice because rice is naturally sweet when you taste mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Whole grains are sweet. And for someone with a kapha imbalance, you might want to add some warming spices to it to help balance out those more heavy components of rice. So it's wonderful for building the tissues. It's great for a fall winter diet. You might want to eat less of it in spring. You have a kapha imbalance. That's the lens that I look at rice versus good versus bad. I love that. But I also want to point out that Ayurveda is very heavily and correct me if I'm wrong, it's very heavy in the usage of vegetables, yes. right? Like whole foods, all of that. Absolutely. So it's not about the rice, like rice is the side. And then like the main course is the vegetables, like going heavy on the vegetables and making sure that that is up front and center stage in our well, lives constantly. Thing, yeah, absolutely. And my, my book, it's a cookbook as well as a lifestyle book. It has 85 recipes oh, in it. Wow. And I did make it a vegetarian book because mm-hmm. everyone seems to have enough access to how to cook meat. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so I wanted to display vegetables and legumes and whole grains and spices in a fun way that you can add meat to the side of one of these dishes mm-hmm. if you wanted to. And so I do give modifications for each recipe as well as dosha recommendations mm-hmm. in the recipes. Mm-hmm. So if you're feeling overheated, omit the garlic. If you'd like a little bit more protein, salmon would go well with this mm-hmm. dish. You know, Love I it. think there's ways that you can work with that without feeling like you just have to eat beans and rice the right. whole time. Where do legumes and beans sit in the seasonal eating? Is it all seasons? Is it winter, fall? Like where does that go? It can be all seasons. One thing that you'll know is grains are going to be more building Mm -hmm. and legumes are going to be more lightening. They can be more drying. So you tend to lighten up on the legumes during Vata season because they can cause bloating. Mm -hmm. It's not properly cooked. You know, we're usually soaking our beans and rice, all of these nuts, seeds, and grains require a couple hours of soaking to help release what's called phytic acid. Yes. Mm -hmm. From it, it just makes it softer, easier to digest, and especially for beans, quicker to cook. Um, And so beans, I could say you could eat them all year round, but if you ate just a pot of dal, let's say lentil soup and nothing else, you might feel a little bloated by the end of it. So you would want to balance that meal out with these other tastes. So Ayurvedic cooking looks at how you can bring a grain in, and it can be quinoa. It can be millet, it can be amaranth, it can be something else. It doesn't have to just be rice. There's lots of other fun grains to work with, Um, as well as your sweet vegetables and then your more bitter vegetables like leafy greens and things that you cook and add to create more balanced approach to eating. Amazing. It makes a hundred, yes, total sense. And then where does the yoga fit into all of this? Because your book includes yoga as well. So it's literally the whole lifestyle of Ayurveda. It's food and exercise. Does it include breathing too with the yoga aspect? It does. Cool. And 
And there's ways that you can make the breathing very intense and there's ways that you can make it really approachable in your daily practice. And that's what I tried to do here is so there are breath practices that are going to be more calming and grounding. There are breath practices that are going to be more energizing. So the spring, you'll find a more energizing yoga sequence that Mm -hmm. focuses on building strength breaking a sweat, you know, helping to release that excess water from the body Mm -hmm. and building a little bit more fire to balance that water and earth element in spring. In summer, I'm not prescribing hot yoga. Yeah, (laughs) right, right. (laughs) Summer, you'll find practices that still satisfy the need for movement because you can't tell a very athletic person just to sit still. It's like, putting the brakes on from a hundred to zero. You also Mm. have to bring movement in, but do it in a way that's playful. Do it in a way that's lightning that doesn't aggravate the intensity. If you're already feeling very intense and summer focuses on that as well as a cooling breath called Sitali where you breathe through your tongue like a straw. (laughs) Cool. That's really cool. (laughs) It's very effective when you're overheated and Mm -hmm. it's a quick practice that you can do. Let's say you were out too long the day in the sun. It doesn't have to be, you just sit down on the mat and do it like this, but You can do it as a morning practice or an evening practice, or you can do it therapeutically when you're feeling like you need to cool down a little bit or you need to warm up. Very cool. So your book is basically a whole lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Like this is how you live your life in balance with the seasons and the changes. And I freaking love that. I'm getting your book because I want to learn this. Like this is the most in-depth I've ever gone about Ayurveda and I'm madly in love with it because it makes complete sense yes, it's so intuitive it is i'm actually going to get one for my assistant because she helps me with the meal plans <laughs> and awesome. and we're going to start planning meal plans around all of this for the members because this just it's so it's really beautiful and we see these imbalances in ourselves and in our society and our and our loved ones and friends where we push 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 it doesn't matter at the time the season whatever and then years later we crash and we ask ourselves what went wrong and it's like, well, yeah. you did the same thing every day, right? Every season, like Monday through through Sunday, you know, and and we burn out and our bodies, they're, they're telling us like, this is unnatural to me. I wasn't designed for this. We don't listen yeah. to our bodies. We override them. And when our bodies start talking, we take ibuprofen, you know, and when our bodies start telling us I'm anxious, we take sleeping pills. And when yeah. our bodies start saying I'm in pain, we take more ibuprofen. And And it's so simple. It's just... Breathe into the elements, breathe into the seasons, breathe into the seasonal foods, and your body will work for you and not against you. And like this, honestly, yeah. most of the healing I found was when I stopped fighting against myself. Yeah. I stopped trying to override my natural intuition with my mind mm-hmm. and what all the surrounding information about my right. body was telling me yeah. I should be feeling. Right. Like I have to be raw foodist. I have to be competitive. I have to, I have to be the best, right? It's like, no, you can work with this, you know, like, I love that. I love your story. It's so, it's so perfect for where you have ended up where you're like, this is balance. This is what it looks like. It's just made life so much more enjoyable, to be honest. (laughs) It's just made me enjoy living more. And when I notice I'm getting really competitive or burnt out or I'm not being able to fall asleep at night. It's like, oh, my pitta's high. Okay, this Mm -hmm. is what I can do to nourish pitta. And when my partner is having the same imbalances, I cannot take it so personally. I can be like, oh, babe, your vata's really high. (laughs) (laughs) You've been up a little too late every night working on your computer. Let's let's get you, you know, a good night's sleep. And it just allows you to 
to, instead of being like, I'm this, instead of having the identity of having to be something or especially when things aren't going well, I'm mm-hmm. a bad person or he's an asshole. Sorry. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, it just allows you to be like, Oh, you're about to hide. Mm-hmm. You've been traveling and it's yes. fall and you're tired. Okay. And it, it just allows a little bit more grace for you so and everyone grace. in your life. And mm-hmm. I think if you can learn to see the world in that lens a little bit more, it becomes less in that shame and blame game that yeah. we find ourselves in a lot. Yeah. This has been incredible. How do people find you? How do they find your book? Like we'll put some links in the notes, but do you take on clients? Do you do seminars? Do you do workshops? Like how do people get more of you in their lives? Yeah, my website is vidyaliving.com, V-I-D-Y-A, living.com. And then I have my book, Living Ayurveda, which you can find on my site as well. It's also available on all major retailers. And because, like you said, this is a lot. It's a lot in one book. I am leading a book club starting in January. It's a season-by-season Living Ayurveda book club, which is going to essentially teach you more what couldn't be said within 320 pages. <laughs> so feel awesome. free to join me. I'm just getting ready to open a registration for that. And I'm excited to just have a really great community to practice with and to share experiences and insights and go through the course of a year of living Ayurveda. Oh, that sounds fantastic. So you're basically like handholding people through this, like they yeah, can read the creating- book and creating a practice community because I've worked with clients one-on-one and I still do take uh, private clients, but what I've noticed, you know, whether you're living in rural Oklahoma and your family is just eating meat and potatoes, mm-hmm. but you're here, you are trying to cook with all these foreign spices. You know, it's hard to make change when you don't have common dialogue and a supportive yeah. community to do that. Absolutely. And that's really what I want to do now that we're all stuck at home and we yeah. all have time to cook again is right. um, just create an uplifting space where we can, learn more and have like-minded dialogue around these things. I love it that. really reinforces positive change. I love that so much. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for coming on today. I've learned so much. Um, this was so enlightening. This was awesome. Yeah. Man, it was like learning a brand new story on like the world and nature and our bodies and ourselves. And it's just, it was really fantastic. Thank you for educating us about the way of Ayurveda and Ayurvedic lifestyle as well as yoga. Awesome. Yeah. And Thanks look, for having we, me. This has been great. We've already ordered our book. So Yay. hopefully it'll be here any day now. But everyone else, go on to vidyaliving.com. Learn more. You're going to love it. You're a sweet voice, babe. <laughs> yeah. so I actually really enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you again for coming on today. We really enjoyed our time with you. And until next time, you guys, please share this with your friends. Leave a rating. Or something. No, just tell everybody. Or just tell, just tell everybody. Tell your friends. We don't care about your ratings. Yeah, I, I, we really don't. Just share us with your friends yes. and your enemies, and maybe you'll become friends with them because <laughs> love. <laughs> Until next time, you guys, we love you. See you later. Bye.